As usual, let's start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato Arahata Samma Sambuddhasa. So the title of tonight's talk is The World and Beyond the World. As you all know, practicing Vipassana meditation means to mindfully observe mental and physical processes as they are. Or it means to be mindful of these processes in body and mind as they arise and pass away. Or it means that we look at these phenomena with an open and interested mind in order to see the true nature. Let's take the example of looking at the landscape and let's say that we have different people who look at this landscape with great interest. We have a farmer, we have a hunter, we have a painter, and we have an architect. Although they look at the very same landscape, they see different things. For example, <clears throat> the farmer sees that the soil is good and fertile. The hunter sees that the bushes are a good hiding place for the pheasants. Or the painter sees the very beautiful light and the intense colors. And the architect looks at this landscape as the ideal place to build a conference center. <laughs> so this great number of living beings in this world, they look at this world with a great number of different eyes. And generally speaking, we can distinguish two ways of observing things, two ways of looking at the world. There is an ordinary way of looking and there is an extraordinary way or a special way. Some people look at this world in an ordinary way and they look at this world with their ordinary eyes. Other people look at this world in an extraordinary way. They look at this world with special eyes. Now, when we speak of the world, what is this world? Or 
what is meant by this word, world. In Pali, the word for world is loka. And those of you who know the nine attributes of the Buddha, you probably recognize the word loka, because one of these nine attributes of the Buddha is loka vidu, and this means knower of the world. So the Buddha is the knower of the worlds. The Buddha knows everything and every being in the three worlds, because there is a distinction uh, between three different kinds of worlds. There is the world of living beings, which is called Sata Loka. Then there is the world of location, Okasa Loka. And there is the world of formations, Sankara Loka. So the world of living beings, the Sataloka, includes all living beings, beings living somewhere, here or somewhere else. So it includes human beings, animals, devas, or other celestial beings. It includes hell beings, or petas, hungry ghosts. So the Buddha knew the tendencies of these beings, their inclinations. He knew the keen and the dull faculties of these beings. Then the world of location, the Okasa Loka, this includes all inanimate things, things like mountains, rivers, lakes, trees, and plants. The Buddha was also aware of countless other universes, of other stars and planets. However, he did not emphasize this knowledge in his teachings because that was not conducive to liberation, not conducive to become liberated from greed, hatred, and delusion. And then lastly, the world of formation, the Sankara Loka, this means the impermanence of all mental and physical phenomena, the impermanence of Nama and Rupa. And so it refers to the constant arising and passing away of all conditioned phenomena. Now let's come back to the word Loka. Loka, the world, this has the nature of arising and passing away. Loka is something that is not everlasting. 
it is not stable. On the contrary, this constant arising and passing away manifests as disintegrating or crumbling or vibrating, falling apart. At one time, the Venerable Ananda approached the Buddha and then said to him, Venerable Sir, it is said, the world, the world, in what way is it said, the world? And so then the Buddha replied, whatever is subject to disintegration is called the world. Another passage in the scriptures defines the word loka as dissolving or crumbling. Again, it includes all mental and physical phenomena. So this world is all the time crumbling and disintegrating. In other words, it's in constant motion it's vibrating, it's changing all the times. The world never stays still, not even for one moment. Whether it is the lower worlds, the human world, or the deva world, whether it is the physical world or the mental world, all the different kinds of worlds, they are in a constant flux. Nothing stays the same for two consecutive moments. Everything is changing all the time. The old is replaced by the new. Old matter is replaced by new matter. Old mind moments are replaced by new mind moments. In each second there is change and as a matter of fact these changes happen incredibly fast so even within um, within uh, a second change happens many 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 times. According to the Abhidhamma, the higher teachings, physical phenomena arise and pass away at an incredible speech, many billions of times in one second. And it is said that mental phenomena arise and pass away at an even greater speed many trillion times per second. Nowadays, you know, we speak of seconds, minutes, hours, but in ancient times, at the time of the Buddha, um, to define a moment, the Buddha said, a moment lasts as long as it takes uh, to blink with the eyes. 
Or another example he gave, a moment uh, lasts as long as one pulls down the other of a cow, when one milks a cow, to pull the other down. It takes one moment. So there's absolutely nothing in this world that is permanent, unchanging, and stable. At another time, the Buddha was approached by a monk who wanted to know what was meant when people would say, the world, the world. And this time the Buddha gave a more detailed answer because this monk would, ha- would not have understood the short answer he had given to Venerable Ananda. So this is what the Buddha said to this monk. So again, the monk asked, Venerable Sir, it is said, the <coughs> world, the world, in what way is it said, the world? And the Buddha said, it is disintegrating, therefore it is called the world. And what is disintegrating? The eye is disintegrating, visible forms are disintegrating, eye consciousness is disintegrating, eye contact is disintegrating and whatever feeling arises with eye contact as condition that too is disintegrating and then the Buddha goes on to say the same things in regard to the ear the nose, the tongue, the body and the mind and finally it just repeats once more it is disintegrating therefore It is called the world. So when the Buddha enumerated what is disintegrating, he mentioned the eye, the visible form, the eye consciousness, the eye contact, and the feeling in in regard to the act of seeing, so the Vedana. Now, the eye and the visible form, these are physical phenomena. Then the eye consciousness, the eye contact, and the feeling, these are mental phenomena. And according to the Buddha, this is all there is in an act of seeing. This physical and mental phenomena constitute a so-called being or human being. And none of these mental and physical phenomena are everlasting entities. They arise and pass away according to causes and conditions. Conditioned phenomena are impermanent and they constitute the Sankara Loka, the world of formations. As I've said, what is 
changing, what is arising and passing away, what is disintegrating or crumbling. <coughs> this is called loka. And as we have seen, loka can be looked at or seen in two different ways, in an ordinary way and in an extraordinary way. So when we look with ordinary eyes, then we see ordinary things. We see things like people. We see women and men, children, grandmas, grandpas, girls and boys. Or we see animals. We see cats and crocodile, rhinos and giraffes, snakes and birds. Or we see plants, we see trees and flowers, bushes and weeds. Or we see mountain and rivers, we see glaciers and moors, we see islands, volcanoes and so on. However, if we look with extraordinary eyes, with special eyes, then we will see extraordinary things. Then we'll see special things. So we will see things like sensations of heat and cold, or hardness and softness. Or we see movements, we see vibrations, or then we see the roughness of anger, or we see the calmness of a focused mind, or we see the restlessness of a distracted mind, or we can see the constant play of arising and passing away. Or we can see an impersonal show of events that happen in the body and mind. And this impersonal show over which we have no absolute control. We also come to see the pain and dissatisfaction of these conditioned uh, processes in body and mind. So looking with extraordinary eyes or looking with special eyes refers to look at things in Vipassana meditation. So based on mindfulness, we look at these processes in body and mind very carefully and very attentively. We observe what is happening in the body, we observe what is happening in the mind. So our aim is to see things as they truly are. We want to see the true nature of all things. We do not want to be stuck in ideas or concepts that we have about these things. So to find out 
what really exists, we have to look very carefully. So we need to observe whatever arises in this body and mind. And so we should put on the vipassana glasses and look at everything with vipassana eyes. It makes such a huge difference whether we look at the world with ordinary eyes or whether we look at the world with special eyes, with the special eyes of vipassana. So the ordinary things that most people see are believed to be permanent, believed to be the source of happiness and satisfaction, believed to be endowed with a self or kind of an indestructible entity, and believed uh, to be possessing an unchanging essence. However, when the Buddha looked at the world and everything uh, within this world, he saw something completely different. He saw the extraordinary things that nobody paid attention to. So all the ideas or concepts about things were thrown overboard. So he discovered that things were actually not as nice and enticing as most people uh, believed. He realized that everything in this world is subject to impermanence, subject to dissatisfaction. Everything is lacking an inherently existing self or solid entity. And there is nothing possessing a a lasting essence. So the Buddha's view of the world and its things and the general view of the world and things, they differ greatly. So now, which of these two views is correct? which is the right view. And so to find out, we need to look at this world. We need to look very carefully and observe whatever there is with vipassana eyes. So we should put on our vipassana glasses and then investigate with an open heart and mind to find out. And then, sooner or later, we come to see ourselves that the Buddha's view is actually the correct view, that the Buddha's view is actually in accordance with reality. We discover then, bit by bit, that thoughts come and go. We see that the anger is not everlasting. We see that the pain is not solid, but it is changing, maybe changing from pressure to heat. 
or we notice that the hearing stops when the bird stops singing. So when we carefully observe all these processes in body and mind, we realize that there is not one single thing that stays unchanging, that there is not one single process that is everlasting. We clearly see that everything just arises, is present for a short moment, and then disappears. So then the impermanent nature of all conditioned phenomena becomes very obvious, very clear. So then there is no more doubt about this. Impermanence, or anicca in Pali, is one of the three general characteristics. Not only these processes in our body and mind are changing all the time, but everything out there in the world is changing too. The seasons come and go, a flower uh, blossoms and then withers, houses are built and then (coughs) later on collapse, or presidents are elected and later on replaced by somebody else. Even mountains arise or are born and then eventually they are worn away. You know, like the Blue Mountains here. Apparently they have been born 50 million years ago. But gradually they are disintegrating. So when we discover with the Vipassana glasses that everything is changing and that nothing is permanent, then we come to understand that these fleeting phenomena cannot be the cannot be a secure base for lasting happiness. Changing and unstable things can never be a reliable basis to make us happy. You know, for example, does a lovely cup of coffee make you forever happy? Well, very soon you need another cup to be happy. Or does the new car finally bring the lasting happiness? Well, probably after the first dent, happiness has gone. (laughs) Or does the beautiful sunset make you happy for the rest of your life? Well, probably not. Or does a beloved person always cause only happy feelings? Well, what about when this person gets sick, or when the person loses her job, or when that person dies? So time and again, the Buddha pointed out that whatever is changing 
that whatever is impermanent is suffering, that it is dissatisfaction. And so this is dukkha in Pali. Dukkha, suffering, dissatisfaction is another uh, general characteristic. And as it is a general characteristic, it can be found in everything. Every physical or mental phenomenon is subject to dukkha. When the Buddha wanted to point out the third general characteristic, he often would ask his listeners in a talk, is what is impermanent, suffering and subject to change fit to be regarded thus? This is mine, this I am, this is myself. People would answer, no, Vanapasa. So the char- characteristics of characteristic of anatta of not self can also be understood as having no absolute control. So this is especially obvious when we have to admit that we cannot make a way that we cannot make the pain go away that we have in our knee. Or it becomes obvious when we cannot stop the mudslide that is coming down uh, the mountain. Or another aspect of anatta, not self, is the fact that we do not really own things. We are not really the owner of anything. Nothing really belongs to us. Even if we buy something, and even if we consider ourselves to be the owner of the house or the car, there is no guarantee that it will be ours forever. Because things disappear, they break, or they are stolen, or they burn, or they can be washed away. And at the end of our life, we have to leave behind everything. We cannot take even one cent, not even one tiny piece of belonging. Of course, we also leave our body behind. We do not own our body. (coughs) We are just the custodians who take care of this body. And so with the vipassana glasses we come to see that we do not own anything and that we lack an absolute control over anything. So whatever exists in the world, whatever exists in loka, is utterly out of our control. So when things do not happen the way we want them to happen, 
then we cannot say that we own these things. We cannot say that we have control over them. At the time of the Buddha, many people believed that they were in control of their life and that they owned this and that. And still nowadays, people do believe this. Then one day the Buddha had a conversation with a monk called Tisaka Parama, who would not accept the Buddha's teaching on anatta and the resulting lack of control. But then the Buddha said to this monk, Look, if things were permanent and if one would have control over things, then let me ask you a question. Let's take the example of King Kosala, who owns and rules over the town of Savati. The king controls the people living there. The people have to live according to the orders of the king. If the king wants one of his subjects to die, then that person will die. If the king wants to expel a person from his country, then this person is expelled. In this way, we say that the king has control over his subjects. Now, Tisaka Parama, go to the king and tell him that he should give the following order. Let my body not get old, let my body not get sick, let my body not die. Tisaka Parama got quiet because he realized that it is impossible to not get old, to not get sick and to not die. Isn't it true? true? We do get old, we do get sick and we do die because we do not have this absolute control and because we do not have this ownership over our body over our life. So there is no control and no ownership over our body, our mind and anything out there in the world. This is anatta, not self. Anatta can also be defined as Things do not happen according to one's wishes. Although nobody wants to get old, nobody wants to get sick, nobody wants to die, people do get old, they do get sick, they do die. And this happens despite all their efforts to prevent it, like adjusting one's diet, living in a suitable climate, doing exercises, and so on. Now, on top, or additional, to these three general characteristics of anicca, dukkha, 
and anatta. There is another characteristic to be found in this world. The Pali word um, is asara, and it means without essence or devoid of a core. The world and everything in this world is without essence, it's without a core. As much as we look for a core or an essence, we do not find such a thing. It's basically impossible to find such a substantial core in anything that arises and passes away. The very fact that things arise and disappear means that they are devoid of such a substantial core. It's impossible to find a lasting and unchanging essence in something that is constantly changing, constantly arising and disintegrating. You know, we could ask, where is the substantial core in a cup of coffee? Or, what is the unchanging essence in a human being? Where is it located? Is it in the brain? Is it in the heart? Or is it in the intestines? Or, is there any substantial core in this universe? So if we want to become liberated, if we want to develop wisdom, we must look at this world with special eyes. So we must put on the vipassana glasses. Then we will discover special things. Then we will see things as they truly are. So you know we have six doors through which we perceive the world. So seeing must happen with the vipassana eyes, hearing must happen with the vipassana ears, smelling must happen with the vipassana nose, tasting must happen with the vipassana tongue, touching must happen with the vipassana body and thinking must happen with the vipassana mind. As I said before, the speed with which the physical and mental phenomena are happening is incredibly fast. It's so fast that we cannot really see them. Um, with our uh, ordinary eyes. But our vipassana eyes, they are like a microscope which allows to see this constant change very accurately, which allows to see this constant change on a microscopic level. 
Nowadays, modern scientists, they have made the same discovery as the Buddha had made 26 centuries ago. They have come to discover that there is no material unit that lasts forever. Even the smallest material units, such as quarks, they are in a state of constant flux. They manifest as matter only to change into energy uh, in the next blink of an eye. So, these modern scientists, they confirm the Buddha's teaching that everything is constantly changing or disintegrating. But these modern scientists, they have only come to this realization on the material level. They have no instruments with which they can prove this fact for the mental phenomena. But as meditators, we can sharpen our mind to such a degree that we can clearly see this instantaneous arising and disappearing on the mental level too. So the Vipassana glasses are far better and they are far more powerful than the most sophisticated instruments. So when the mind is faced with this constant change, with this constant arising and disappearing of things, then it becomes weary. It realizes that there is no lasting happiness to be found in processes, processes that are constantly arising and passing away. And so then the mind becomes disenchanted with everything in the world. The mind becomes disenchanted and weary with loka, that is, with everything that is arising and passing away. And then as a result, the mind starts to look for something that is not subject arising and passing away. So the mind yearns for something that is utterly still and peaceful. So it looks for something that is beyond this constant change. And then the mind wants to escape the loka. It wants to overcome the conditioned realm of arising and passing away. And the Buddha, finally, he had, quote-unquote, found such a, again, quote-unquote, place. So he had realized that there is a state devoid of arising and passing away. There is a state devoid of this constant change. An attainment had he found that is utterly still, utterly peaceful. 
So it was by deeply and thoroughly understanding the arising and passing away of everything in this world that the Buddha transcended the conditioned realm and he realized the unconditioned. And so he experienced for himself that the unconditioned was free from anything arising or passing away. And so it was with this attainment that he had found peace. So with this attainment, he transcended the world, the loka, with its arising and passing away. And so he left the, le- he left the level of loka and he realized lokutra. Lokutra, that which is beyond the world or the supra-mundane. So as we know, Loka, this is characterized by change, by disintegration, by arising and passing away. Lokutra is characterized by stillness, by peace, by calm. In Lokutra, there is no change, no arising and passing away, no dissolution no disintegration. And another word for Lokutra is Nibbana. So the world and Nibbana, they only differ in one thing. One is changing, dissolving, and the other one is completely still and calm. Nibbana is also referred to as Santi, which means peace. So the transition from Loka to Lokuttara happens in one instant. The transition from the mundane level to the supra-mundane level. So it happens in one instant. And it can happen at any time. We should not think that the experience of Lokuttara or Nibbana is something that will happen uh, far into the future or in the distant future. The peace of Nibbana is actually available right here and now, at any time. We simply need to create the conditions for this experience to happen. Here are some descriptions for Nibbana or the experience of Lokutra. It's the complete destruction of greed, hate and delusion. This is called Nibbana. Or 
This is truly the most peaceful and refined state. Or it's called the non-disintegrating or the deathless or it's called safety or it's also referred to as the beyond. So with Vipassana eyes, we can see and understand the ever-changing world, the loka, and we also can see and understand the, that which is unchanging, lokutra or nibbana. The power of the Vipassana glasses is extremely strong. It's really incomparable. There is nothing else in this world that can compare to the Vipassana glasses. They alone let they alone enable us to experience Lokutra. They alone enable us to experience the peace of Nibbana. So let's still quietly for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.